listening to Not So Risky Business Podcast, where we make legal easy for you by unlocking access to essential legal information, training, and strategy for online businesses, coaches, and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Miriam Tsadurian. Welcome. In our previous episode, we briefly touched upon the topic of intellectual property, such as copyrights, trademarks, patents, trade secrets. And we said that intellectual property is what brings up the value of your business. It is absolutely the most valuable asset your business has ever owned or will own. With that said, I want to provide a little bit of detail on the actual different intellectual property types what they mean for your business, and what you might have to protect as an entrepreneur. And we'll talk about how each one of us might have different kinds of intellectual property to protect and why we should give preference for one over the other and in which circumstances. So let's begin, shall we? When we say intellectual property, we are talking about your business assets. But more specifically, we're talking about intangible business assets. These are things that you cannot necessarily see, you cannot touch, but these are there. We're talking about content. We're talking about brand presence, identifiers. We're talking about potential inventions, methods, processes. And we're talking about the secrets that make your business so valuable if you have one. So let's start with copyrights and then we'll talk about each one of this in a little bit more detail. So what is a copyright? Copyright is actually a constitutionally protected right. It protects original works of authorship fixed in a tangible medium. Basically, any work of original authorship that we can create that exists, it's not just in your head, it's not just an idea that can be protected. The copyrightable things are things such as articles, stories, fiction. This can be things such as choreography. This can be things like music, lyrics, audiovisual arts. We're talking like movies and songs and lyrics to the songs and the actual music to the songs, software to the program. Not the public part, right? Not the open software part where everyone has access to that code. We're talking about the unique aspects of a code that you design. Architectural works can be protected under copyrights and so on. Now there's a little bit of confusion when it, when we say original works of authorship. Some people take this as meaning that something like this does not exist out there. This is absolutely unique. This is not the case. Original simply means that you came up with this. You did not copy somebody else. This is your unique approach to this unique method or thought or story, right? For example, there are numerous Romeo and Juliet story-like stories out there, star-crossed lovers and all of that, and each one of those can be a copyright in its own right. They are not going to say, no, this is like the Romeo and Juliet. It already exists. You cannot copyright this as long as you're the original author on that you can protect that under the copyright law. Now, one nice thing about copyrights to know is that it attaches to you automatically from the moment your work exists on a tangible medium. When we say tangible medium, we're talking about things where that work exists on and we can see that exists on there. It can be a piece of paper, a parchment. It can be your 
computer, it can be a tablet or any other tangible medium that is yet to come into existence. So as long as it exists, it's not in your head, we're good with copyright. So from the moment your work exists, you have a copyright in that work. And you can try to enforce your rights if somebody infringes your copyright. For example, you can file a DMCA claim. You can do a cease and desist letter. One thing you cannot do if your copyright is not officially registered with the Copyright Office is to file a claim in court. So if, hypothetically speaking, it infringed your copyright and you have gone through the regular channels, let's say you have sent them a cease and desist letter, either you or your attorney, and they didn't comply. Let's say you have filed a DMCA claim to be a devil's advocate. Let's say they either didn't comply, the host didn't comply, or the host was out of U.S. and didn't have to comply. And that didn't work. So your next option is to get an injunction. An injunction is a court order by the judge who essentially orders the other party either to do something or to stop doing something. So maybe you want to get an injunction that tells them, hey, stop using this online course and stop selling it. Because obviously it's harming your business, you're losing money, and plus it's your intellectual property that they are passing it on as theirs. Now, if your copyright is not officially registered with the U.S. Copyright Office, you cannot file a claim in court. You can register it at the time that infringement happens and then file a claim in court. Now, copyright process can take anywhere from two weeks to four months, depending on circumstances and how much money you want to spend on expediting the process. But here is the disadvantage of registering the copyright after infringement happens. You will be limited to only the actual damages if you were to ask for reimbursement. Now, a lot of the time, the actual damages might not be so great. In fact, most times actual damages are so little that it would cost you more to go after that person to file a claim in court than to just let it go and forget about it. And this is what most people do when it comes to court cases, their copyright is not registered because they're going to be limited to the actual damages. They decide, you know what, I have to spend a lot more money to bring this to court. I'd rather not do anything about it at all. So what ends up happening is their intellectual property just got stolen and it stays that way. And the other party keeps benefiting from your intellectual property. Now, Why is it beneficial to actually register your copyright before infringement happens or at least within 90 days of its creation? It's because if in the future infringement takes place and you have registered your copyright with the copyright office before that infringement, you would not be limited to only actual damages. You would actually have statutory damages available to you as well And what's more important, attorney fees option, right? So if your copyright was registered before any infringement took place, you can choose instead of actual damages to get statutory damages. And this statutory damages is what brings up the value copyright infringement case. You can get more through statutory damages sometimes or most of the time actually than with actual damages. Unless, you know, you're like a, 
multi-million, multi-billion dollar type of a company that makes a lot more money than your average small business out there, then that's a different story. So there is this huge advantage to actually registering your copyright as soon as possible, at the very least before anyone infringes your copyright. But do know that you do have automatic copyright protection even if you don't register it. The only limitation comes is when you have to file a claim in court, you can't do that unless you registered. You can register at the time once again, but you will not have access to statutory damages or attorney fees. But if you register it beforehand, those options will be available to you as well. Now, one annoying aspect of copyrights is that it applies to per work basis, meaning you need to protect each individual work by itself, unless it can become part of a group of works, then that's a different story. But in general, know that each work, each individual work of authorship must be protected on its own. And even though copyright filing fees are not expensive per se, but when you consider that if you're an online entrepreneur, you might have hundreds and hundreds of articles and blog posts and online courses and videos and images that you want to protect or not even a course creator. You can be a coach, for example, who you have a membership, you have a program and you have a lot of unique things that you've came up with. Those things need to be registered one by one. So in the long run, it can actually add up to a lot of money. So what is the one thing I recommend people do when it comes to this? It's to identify what are the highest value pieces that you absolutely want to protect. Now, in an ideal world where you have unlimited income, money is never an issue. Obviously, best case scenario would be to protect all of your work at the same time. So you can sleep easily knowing that everything's protected. Nobody's coming after you, right? And in fact, moving forward, that's what you should start doing because if you protect your content as you create them, it will not be that expensive. But if you have never protected your work and let's say at this point you have hundreds of articles or blog posts or several online courses that consist of, I don't know, maybe like 80 lessons and videos and whatnot, then obviously going back and protecting what you haven't protected before will start adding up and cost you a lot of money. But from this point on, if you protect your created work as you go, it should be okay. However, let's assume that you have never protected your work and you have accumulated a lot of copyright protectable content, whether it's actual written information, it's images, it's videos, it's graphics, it's maybe some stories that you've written, or I don't know, maybe it's some kind of a recipe direction that you have. Mind you, I said direction and not the recipe ingredients because ingredients are not protected. Or maybe you're a choreographer who came up with this amazing choreography or an architect or you're a music producer who writes music or who creates shows and movies and reality shows, whatnot. So maybe you have a lot of those that you haven't protected before and now you want to do it. So if you don't have unlimited income, meaning money at some point is going to be an issue for you, then what I recommend doing is to identify the highest value pieces of content that you absolutely need to protect. The reason being is because your highest value pieces 
are the ones that are going to bring you the most income. And if that's the case, you want to protect those. So if somebody goes after those contents, you can do something about that because it is so valuable for your business. Now, as a story, I have this friend. She is a blogger, an amazing, very savvy marketer and blogger. And she's great with affiliate marketing, especially Amazon. And she has this blog post where she shows people how to sell through Amazon, how to get affiliate commissions through Amazon. And that one blog post has earned her over $50,000, $60,000 from just affiliate links inside that blog post. Now, that one article is probably valuable to my friend. So that piece is what became a registered copyright first. That piece is what she protected first because she knew that every month she makes a substantial amount of commissions through that article and she didn't want anybody else to go and infringe. And if somebody did, she wanted to be able to do something about that. So this is what I'm talking about when I say high value content. And keep in mind, it doesn't always have to be about money. It can be about your brand presence. It can be about your establishing yourself as an authority figure. It can be some really nice content interview article or something along those lines. Whatever means a lot to you as a business owner, protect. And then slowly work your way um, down the list and protect everything else. But keep registering your copyrights from this moment on as you create more works. If, of course, that is important for you. I would argue that you should. But again, know what the registration is for. Also, be aware that you do have that automatic protection. It's just the registration is necessary if you ever want to file anything in court. And if you ever want to be able to recover statutory damages, if infringement ever takes place. The duration of the copyrighted work, if you do register your copyright, if the work has been created on or after January 1st, 1978, which most works at this point are, because we're in that kind of time period where we have passed already the 1970s and I'm sorry, 1909 era. So if on or after January 1st, 1978, then the duration of the copyright is the life of the author. So however long that author survives, it's the life of that author plus 70 years. After that time period, and this is for single authors, by the way, if let's say it is, if the work is composed by joint authors or it's created by more than one person, then it's going to be the life of the surviving author plus 70 years for that. Once copyright expires, the work generally becomes part of the public domain, which means everyone is free to use it, sell it, add stuff to it, design it, redesign it, and whatnot. So this is copyright in a nutshell and what you need to know about it and why this might be important for you to protect. Now, the next intellectual property that I want to bring your attention to is trademarks. Trademark is something that protects your brand identity. 
It is how outside people, it is how your customers, your consumers associate different things with your brand. It is the idea that they have in their mind when it comes to your brand. You can create a personal brand. You can create an actual like more traditional brand when it's not your name. There are several things that can be trademarked or can be registered trademarks. Your brand name, obviously the biggest one of all, your brand name can be trademarked. Your business name can be trademarked. Even your URL can be trademarked if you wanted to. And your logos, your slogans, your colors, sounds, and even smells. These are all things that can be registered for a trademark. Of course, there are some prerequisites that you need to satisfy, meaning your trademark cannot be a merely generic name or a phrase. And it should not be merely descriptive either. There's that whole spectrum of distinctiveness that you need to make sure your trademark satisfies. And whatever name you pick cannot infringe on somebody else's trademark. This is why the number one most important step when it comes to having a trademark or registering a trademark is to pay a trademark attorney to conduct a trademark search for you. Now, there are a lot of business owners out there, and I have come across my fair share of them. When they come to me to register a trademark, they'll tell me, I've already done a search on this, and I know this is available. I just need to register it. And 99 out of 100, when they say they have done a search on it, they mean they have gone on Google. They have searched for that name, the actual name that they want to protect, and then they have maybe gone on the USPTO's database and they have searched for that actual name. Now, the problem with this, or some of them might even have gone on social media and searched for that actual name on social media. But this is basically the extent of the search that they do. And they think just because their exact name did not come up in any of the results that it's okay to use that name. Now, an actual trademark search is complicated. It has multiple layers. I have a guide, by the way, that I'll link in the show notes where I try to teach you how to do a trademark search. And again, even with those tactics, it's still going to be a very limited search, but it's better than how you would have searched yourself. A trademark search does not just search for the um, actual name. You need to allow for differences of spelling. You need to allow for translations from foreign languages. You need to allow for compound words. Sometimes when you come across a word, it's not even the same word, but guess what? It can still be considered confusingly similar to yours. And if that's the case, then registering your trademark will most likely not be successful. The way we search as attorneys, we have special softwares that we use along with us searching manually on USPTO's database. And obviously, an entire legal analysis goes into figuring out whether the results are similar or not. Let me just give you a very simple example as to why searching for your name directly on the database might not be a good idea and it will not give you accurate results. Let's take the word Starbucks. Let's say instead of spelling Starbucks at the end, you spelled B-A-C-K-S, so Starbucks, right? Everything else is the same, just one letter difference. If you were to search that on USPTO's database, it would give you an error, meaning it will say no results found error. Now, you might think that it's okay to use Starbucks because USPTO database didn't find any existing marks with that name. 
But do you really think it's okay to use that? I guarantee you, the moment you created a Starbucks, Starbucks would be coming after you. So this is what I'm talking about when I say search is extremely important. It's the single most important step in a trademark registration process. And it's something that should never be ignored. In fact, if you're somebody who's just starting a business or wanting to create a business, I would even go as far as say, have an attorney do a trademark search on the name that you possibly want to do your business under, your brand name. If that brand name is not a good one, do not pick that. Pick another name to start with because you will be starting with a disadvantage from the get-go if the trademark brings up results that are confusingly similar to yours. And I'm not even saying you need to go and register it at that point, even though you should technically, but I'm saying do the search as a first step to picking the name that you want to do business under. Trademark protection can last indefinitely, basically, for as long as you're doing business, working under that brand and protecting that brand, trademark can last. You do have the option of renewing it every 10 years. It's another process and it's basically applications that you need to file online. But trademark can last indefinitely and never expire as long as you're using it properly. And with trademarks though, the biggest thing you need to keep in mind is that it's not enough to just register a trademark and leave it at that. With registered trademarks, you as the brand owner, you as the registered trademark owner, need to actively use it, actively monitor it, and police it. What am I talking about? Let's say you're this awesome big shot business coach out there who has this great program, you're profitable, you're starting to become well-known, and Maybe one of your students or mentees down the line decides to create a similar program. It's not exactly the same as yours, but it's similar to yours. And you know that they are using your elements of your program to create theirs. In other words, it is an infringement. But, you know, maybe you're thinking this was my student. They paid me money to be part of this course. I really like them. I don't want to be mean to them or come up as this really nasty person. So I'm just going to let it go. I'll let them use this brand name that is similar to mine, right? Because I'm such a nice person. That right there is where a lot of things go wrong. Even though I know technically you don't want to be this nasty person to constantly tell people like, stop doing this. You're not allowed to do that or send cease and desist or file DMCA claims and whatnot. But for trademark purposes, you absolutely have to be that person. Because with trademarks, if you're not using them, you're not monitoring and protecting your trademarks, that act of not protecting your trademark down the line can become basis for you to lose your trademark. Somebody else could come along and they could say, look, they are not enforcing their trademark. Therefore, like they are not really viewing it as an actual regular brand and their rights in their trademarks are weakened, right? or diluted at this point because so many other brands came along that are considered to be very similar to them that can become basis for somebody else to come along and try to cancel your registered trademark. So make sure to use them exactly as you registered them and to monitor and police them. 
Now, if monitoring and policing your own trademark is difficult for you, there are services out there, including services that your trademark attorney will most likely offer for you. I know I offer for this for my clients if they're interested. For a minimal fee, your attorney or whatever service you hire can actually monitor your brands for you on a monthly basis and keep track whenever something pops up, they can notify you and send like cease and desist to make sure that there's nothing out there that is going to be confusingly similar to yours and cause you to have weakened rights in your own trademark. So we have covered trademarks too. So that's what you need to know as a business owner, as an online business owner about trademarks. If you're an entrepreneur, you might consider doing a trademark for your signature product. Maybe you have an online course, maybe you have a membership. So your signature product is something that you can register your trademark for that. Whatever brand name you're working under. So if you're working under your own name, you can register your own name. There is some pluses and minuses when it comes to registering a personal brand that I'm not going to go into at this moment. But it is a possibility to register your own name as your brand name. Or if you have another actual brand name, you can register that. Your logos are also registrable. Your slogans or mottos, those are all things that you can register. If you have a unique color that you came up with for your brand, like unique hex code, you could register that. For example, I'm sure all of you are familiar with Tiffany's, the jewelry um, store, and they have that turquoise color on their boxes. They protect that color. If somebody tries to come up with a box color like that, They'll go after you. Ria's pieces is a trademark or sounds or smells. Like these are all things that you can protect. The most important protection is your brand name. So do that first. If you have to do at just one, start with that. Brand and logo, those are the most important pieces that you can protect or brand and your signature product. All right. Now let's move on to patents. I don't practice patent law. I'm not a patent attorney because for in order to actually be a patent attorney, you need to have some kind of hard science background, which I don't. I do just enough. I know just enough about patents to be dangerous. A patent basically protects inventions and it can also protect designs. So there's three types of patents. There is utility patent which we said it protects inventions like mechanisms and processes and all of that. There's design patents. It's a specific new design that does not exist and it has to be ornamental, not functional. And there is plant patents. If you like genetically engineer a new species of subspecies of plants, you can also patent that. New patents are usually granted for 20 years. And similar to all the intellectual properties that we've discussed so far, Patent is limited to United States territories and possessions. In other words, if you have a patent in the United States and you, let's say, move to China, you cannot say I have a protected patent in China because your patent is registered in the U.S., not in China. And patent does not protect ideas. So again, your actual invention needs to exist at least in, as a model it needs to exist in detail on a paper in order for your patents to be protectable. The copyright, trademarks, and patents are the big three intellectual properties. Now, there is a fourth one that does not get talked about as much, but again, incredibly important and highly valuable to businesses who do have that. 
we're talking about trade secrets. Trade secret, as the name suggests, is the secret of your trade, of your business. It is the single most valuable, most important piece of IP your business will ever own if your business actually owns a trade secret. These are information about a specific thing that is not known to the public. It might not even be known to everyone within the company. There might be select people who are privy to this. For example, the recipe of the drink like Coca-Cola is a trade secret. Nobody knows the recipe to that. Many people try to replicate it. They try to buy it and Coca-Cola will not release its recipe. They will not share their recipe with anyone. Why? Because it's their trade secrets. It's the reason behind their success. It's what makes their drinks unique. It's what makes Coca-Cola Coca-Cola. No, they are not going to divulge their secret. They are not going to tell people what the recipe for their drink is. The same is true for other trade secrets out there. These are secrets that are guarded. And if exposed, if people find out, this will lose its value. So trade secrets are usually things that are protected through licenses and agreements more rather than applications. But this is, again, another part of intellectual property does not concern to every single business because not every single business out there owns a trade secret. But if they do, then this is their bread and butter. This is what they need to protect with everything they have, because if this is exposed, then their business will drastically lose its value. So there we have it. All the intellectual property rights, what they represent, what they protect, and what they mean for your business. If you found this episode helpful, I would love it if you could go in the reviews and leave me a review for this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. Until next time.